Explore presents a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a devil or two to boot by Alec and Jan Foreman. Chapter 17 Treats Galore 11th of June to the 11th of July 1977 Algeria, Tunisia, Sicily, Italy We motored north in Algeria on an excellent tarmac road from Insula to the palm tree oasis of El Galia. There we stopped at the open market and enjoyed the fresh scents of the fruit and vegetables on display. Carrots, onions, beetroot, melons, tomatoes, plums, oranges and apples. I chose to buy the plump ruby red tomatoes and sweet burgundy plums. Tempting wafts of newly baked bread had me eagerly handing over cash for a loaf straight from the oven. Tossing the hot baguette from one hand to the other, I tore off a piece and gave it to Alec. Mmm, that was worth the drive, he said, chewing away as we returned to the Land Rover. Now that the journey was less taxing, we ventured unhurriedly from place to place over the following days, as we made our way north towards the Mediterranean Sea, from El Galia to Gardea, and then east to Urgla and Tugut, passing Bedouin encampments, camel trains, and flames of fire burning high in the air on the oil fields. The days were baking hot with high winds, but the challenge of the environment and climate did not seem as critical then with the relative security of a real road. I guess we reckon someone would come along at some time if we broke down. Plus, our Land Rover had proven trustworthy, and we were confident in our ability to fix things. At Biskra, we turned east off the main road along the picturesque route through the Ore mountain range to arrive at an impressive canyon known as the Balconies of Rufi, a rugged, bare, splayed-out rock face cut through by the river. Palm trees, pink floral bushes and other lush vegetation grew abundantly along the sweep of the gorge. Naturally camouflaged houses were situated on the terraced cliffs. At Timgad, we stopped to visit the vast ruins of a Roman city, built in AD 100 as a military garrison, to defend against marauding Berber tribes. Even in its ruined state, it was possible to imagine the former grandeur of the site. We drove on to Constantine, an imposing, busy, industrial city built high on the plateaus, either side of a deep gorge. A suspension bridge reached from one side to the other, a masterful engineering achievement above the craggy ravine. As we walked about the city for a couple of hours, we saw hundreds of people and so much traffic. It felt strange, but was a normality we'd need to adjust to. We sat at a street-side cafe table, delighting in a cold, freshly pressed lemon drink with a dish of, haven't had forever, delectable scoops of strawberry, chocolate and vanilla ice cream. Heaven comes at a price, we discovered, when presented with the bill. 
In less than 100 miles, we finally reached the Mediterranean Sea, a vast expanse of beautiful blueness. We parked and I quickly jumped out of the Land Rover, took off my shoes and socks and ran across the golden sandy beach into the shallow water. I raised my hands and shouted, yes, in sheer joy. I smelt the salty air and breathed it in to fill my lungs right down to my very toes. Meanwhile, Alex stood beside the Land Rover and planned the route ahead on the map he'd laid out across the bonnet. We then continued onwards to Anaba, a seaside town situated on the breathtakingly scenic coastline. As it offered no campsite, we decided to drive on until we came to a clearing by the side of the road. Such a pretty little location with a gorgeous display of wild flowers that nodded their colourful heads in the sea breeze. Alec removed the jerry cans and unbolted the racks from both sides of the Land Rover to store them up on the roof rack. Along came a dozen cows, udders bulging with milk, being driven along the road, going back home. Their tails swished around their rumps, swatting pesky flies. The farmer hailed a greeting. Life was sweet. On Wednesday, the 15th of June, ten days after leaving Tamanrasset in southern Algeria, we arrived at the next border crossing. The buildings were very posh and sparkly clean and the border officers were efficient at their job, both at the Algerian and Tunisian posts. From there, we drove directly south from the delightful coastal town of Tabaka to Ain Draham and then on to Jenduba. We enjoyed travelling along the roads through rolling farmland where crops of wheat, barley and cheery yellow sunflowers were growing. Cork and olive trees were common in the area too, whilst cattle and sheep grazed on the pasture land. We passed three women dressed in colourful midi-length cotton dresses, fetching water in elegantly crafted terracotta pots with handles, like in biblical paintings. At Genduba, I took a photo of a two-storey white house with sky-blue painted shutters and window frames, Perched in a huge nest on the roof apex were two gangly storks. Walking by the house was a lad leading his donkey to the water supply, a roadside tap. There he filled two large plastic jerry cans to load on his beast of burden. Our journey took us east to Tunis, then south to the holiday resort of Sousse. I felt refreshed in Tunisia and I thought it would be the ideal place for a package holiday. It had everything, sun, sea, beaches, modern hotels, plus the fascination of being in Africa. The heady aromatic spices in the markets and the fragrance of the perfumes and incense in the souks sparked our senses. Delicious foods were available, from freshly caught fish to matured cheese, fruit, vegetables and choice of olives. In the north, Tunisia had well-cared-for towns and villages for tourists to stay in the hotels. Yet it was not far to go for an excursion south into the desert. Luxury and adventure nestled side by side. A swim in the warm sea felt fabulous, just like being in a luxurious jacuzzi. Our menu took a leap too, when I fixed a scrumptious supper of new potatoes, fresh peas, tomatoes, fish dressed with mushroom sauce followed by pancakes and oranges. The following day we drove back to the attractive city of Tunis. 
What wonderful items to buy in the Medina, from caftans to copper plates, pottery, hand-woven blankets and leatherware. And there were lots of persuasive stall owners. As we had been buying at least one souvenir from each country that we visited, I decided that a useful brass pestle and mortar would be a fine addition to our treasures. Alex stopped to have his shoes cleaned by a boy shoeshiner, and I walked on to see the stalls of gorgeous, vibrant, fresh flowers for sale, a tantalising treat I had to forego in our roving home. Culinary delights tempted us too, and we succumbed on several occasions. Following a long walk around Tunis, we found a restaurant serving bric à l'oeuf, a national hors d'oeuvre of egg and parsley, parceled in an unleavened bread, fried and served with a slice of lemon. We ordered this dish for each of us with a basket of bread and a bottle of water for just 60 pence. Our evening meal later that day was a little more extravagant in cost and local cuisine. For one pound each, we enjoyed a bowl of tomato soup, couscous with vegetables, entrecote steak and chips with a side salad, followed by creme caramel and slices of freshly cut peach. On that same evening, we were to cross the Mediterranean Sea by ferry to travel to Sicily. How exciting was that? After our meal, we slowly meandered along the tree-lined main street back to where the Land River was parked. There was no hurry, as the ferry departure was at ten. In a timely manner, we drove to the port and dealt with formalities at the ticket, passport and custom booths. Alec drove the Land Rover into the bowels of the vessel and she purred at the prospect of the next adventure. The ferry was only a third full, thus the atmosphere was quiet and calm as passengers prepared for the night crossing. Everywhere on the ferry was clean, well-furnished and well-organised. We went to our cabin to canoodle and cuddle before being lulled to sleep by the repetitious deep voice of the powerful engines as the ferry navigated steadily across the sea. Darling, do you have everything? Alec asked me the next morning as we left our cosy cabin. Yes, I hope so. I just remembered to pick up our toothbrushes from the sink. Good, then let's go and find the canteen for some breakfast. Alec led the way along the narrow cabin corridor to the central stairway that took us up to the dining area. After a cup of tea and a sweet bun, we sauntered out onto the front deck to watch the approach into Palermo Harbour. We stood together, Alec behind me, his arms hugged around my waist as he kissed my neck, shielding me from the gusty breeze blowing off the sea. Many boats moored by the docks bobbed in the wake of the ferry. Some early risers were already enjoying the gentle morning sunlight as they ventured out in their yachts and fishing vessels. The ferry docked and once secured, the passengers were told over the tannoy system to proceed to their vehicles. We readily went down to the vehicle deck and climbed into the Land Rover. My tummy fluttered with butterflies as I anticipated the fun we would have exploring the island of Sicily and the joy of hearing Italian, the language of love. We were welcomed onto Sicilian soil by the drug squad team, a golden Labrador dog with his handler. They both climbed into the back of our Land Rover and checked out the contents of our home. The officer was suspicious of a white flaky substance stored in a small plastic box in our kitchen cupboard. He called the attention of the dog, 
which had been conscientiously sniffing every nook and cranny. The dog sniffed the contents and immediately looked into his handler's eyes as if to say, It's potato powder, you dummy. With a restrained chuckle, we happily left the border control behind to find a parking place right at the docks as the city of Palermo surrounded the harbour. It was just as well we did, as the streets were congested with parked vehicles on the pavements, even double and tripled parked. Our first task of the day was to locate an insurance office to buy the Land Rover third-party insurance to cover Europe. The clerk at the tourist office pointed us in the right direction, having given us maps and brochures for Sicily. Palermo had many striking buildings, churches, statues and fountains, giving testimony to the architectural styles of the invaders of Sicily over the centuries. We particularly enjoyed looking around the Palatine Chapel, built by the Norman conquerors in the 11th century within the Saracen royal palace. The chapel was embellished inside with richly coloured mosaics of biblical stories and on the exterior warriors were depicted. It was inviting to walk along the pavements of the main shopping streets where glass-fronted shops displayed shoes and clothing in an attractive way with labels showing fixed prices. Household items and furnishings were for sale, indicating a way of life quite different to what we had become used to. Yes, indeed, our Romany lifestyle of little fuss, minimal requirements and free spirit had drawn us away from the Western norm. Our ten days spent exploring Sicily were splendid. From Palermo, we drove to Trapani, a fine view of which we had from Entz, a hilltop village nearby, then to a campsite at Marsala, where we had a thorough spring clean over the next five days. The Land Rover looked the cleanest clean it had ever been, even having its first wax polish. We made our way across Sicily and visited Roman and Greek temples and Baroque cathedrals in towns with wonderful Italian names such as Terracini, Segesta and Teomina, ancient buildings, but many a busy town also had modern high-rise blocks of flats and great supermarkets. I felt overwhelmed by the abundance and choice of foods and other goods, but I was thrilled to buy two folding camping chairs so that we could sit comfortably outside of our Land Rover in the evenings. The charming island had beautiful rolling hills, lush green vineyards, orange groves and villages perched on hilltops with stunning villas along the craggy coastline. We smiled when along came a traditional Romany cart, pulled by a fine bay horse with white plumes fixed on the bridle between its ears. The harness was bedecked with bold-coloured tassels, trimmings and round brass bells, whilst the covered wooden cart was decoratively painted to match. The driver, a stocky elderly man, dressed in shirt and trousers, with a shabby waistcoat and a flat cap, passed us by jauntily. He was on his way to market to sell his clay pots, which were nestled in wooden crates in the cart. We arrived and parked at the foot of Mount Etna. The first half of the climb was via cable car, as the active volcano was over 10,000 feet high. Then we walked four miles to the bright yellow-hued crater, a seemingly bottomless pit, 300 yards across, 
belching forth sulfurous fumes with frightening rumbles from below. Alec had me pose for a photo. There I sat, perched on the distinctly warm, rocky edge of the volcano, with wind-swept hair and a cautious smile. I tried not to breathe in the smoke, and my eyes were smarting. I'd seen all I needed to see, so I led the way back down the old grey lava track, hoping the volcano would not spew up its molten guts before we were safely out of harm's way. Our last port of call in Sicily was Messina, where we went to visit the main attraction at the cathedral. The bell tower displayed a huge astronomical mechanical clock. At noon, the large statue of a lion roared and a cockerel statue crowed as the ancient legend of the Madonna della Terra was played out by a dozen figurines. From Messina, we took the ferry for the half-hour crossing to the mainland Italy. There we followed the western coastal road, initially through the hills, snaking around the tight corners, until it branched out through farmland and orchards of flourishing peach trees. The locals rode mules and donkeys or drove horses and carts. Curiously, when we stopped to buy bread and other supplies, no one had any loose change so they gave us sweets or matches instead. The unhurried drive along the coastal road took a couple of days before we arrived at Battipaglia, a big town where there were festive lights strung across the main street. It was buzzing with tourist activity, with lots of souvenirs, drinks and ice cream for sale. But it was not until we came to a minor road down to the sea that we came across the real action. There were hundreds of cars, overflowing restaurants, beach huts and large colourful umbrellas shading holidaymakers in the briefest attire as they sipped sodas whilst lying on striped sunbeds. There was not a patch of sand to claim for our own, so even if we had wished to sit amongst the crowds to eat our lunch, it was impossible. We gladly drove on. In just a short distance, we arrived at Salerno, right on the beachfront. A totally crazy place. The traffic was abominable for us quiet desert travellers. Cars, trucks and scooters were all over the place, overtaking each other, throwing caution to the wind. It was a wonder that we made it through there in one piece. Maybe it'll be quieter at Pompeii, said Alec, as he negotiated the traffic as nimbly as he could with our tank of a vehicle going along such narrow streets. We managed to find a lay-by to stop and eat our lunch beside the main road, en route to our afternoon tourist visit. Along with coachloads of visitors, we saw the fascinating ruins of the ancient Roman city of Pompeii, destroyed in AD 79 by the molten lava that flowed from the sudden eruption of the volcano Mount Vesuvius. It was an archaeological dream, as so much of the original city had been carefully exposed. We saw kitchens, courtyards, gardens, frescoes, mosaics, an amphitheatre, and even the disturbing form of dead people turned into rock. We took a quick visit to the main square of the new city with the same name. We wanted to go into the cathedral, but as Alec was wearing shorts, he was forbidden to enter. Not so fortunate in our parking place that evening, being surrounded by passionate lovers in their squeaky cars, 
and piles of rubbish. Early on Monday morning, the 4th of July, we drove into the frantic city of Naples and tried to find a parking place. It was a nightmare. At one point, after Alec parked next to a public garden area, a weird little Italian man appeared, brandishing an open penknife and threatened to call the police. We eventually parked near the docks, paying 1,000 lira, 67 pence, to a man dressed in a white shirt, shorts and socks, with smart tan leather sandals and a dashing Panama hat. Naples was a busy, noisy city with interesting back alleys lined with old, tall terraced houses. There were flowers and plants on the balconies and laundry was hung out to dry on lines across the street. We visited a beautiful domed church and enjoyed seeing fountains and sculptures that enhanced the city. Naturally, we called in at a local restaurant to savour an authentic Napoli pizza with a glass of the local red wine. My taste buds had a party. That evening, we parked at an old quarry that was joyously carpeted with a rainbow of wild flowers. As I cooked supper, a cloud of gnats flew into the Land Rover and gathered in the upper part of the extended roof. As they flitted around my face, I took action by removing the saucepan off the burner, leaving the flames exposed. I switched the fluorescent light off, climbed out of the Land Rover and closed the door. The insects all yielded to the flames and the coast was clear for me to continue cooking, whilst keeping the door firmly closed. The next day we drove leisurely from Naples to Rome, stopping en route at Casino, a modern town with expensive clothes and shoe shops. We visited the interesting Abbey of Monte Cassino, but our historical, architectural and arts extravaganza had only just begun. At Tivoli, the open-air market bustled with traders and customers haggling over prices. Clothes, shoes, handbags and household goods were all on display and we came across an excellent cheese and ham stall alongside the usual stalls of fruit and veg. On arrival at the capital, we found a great campsite on the outskirts with a wonderful luxury of clean tiled toilets and hot showers. Over three days we walked for miles around the streets of Rome, exploring the Roman Forum, Colosseum and Vatican City with its museum, plus St Peter's Basilica and the Sistine Chapel. The Pantheon, a dome-shaped building, was an incredible massive structure built nearly 2,000 years before as a temple to the gods of ancient Rome, but was consecrated as a Roman Catholic church in the 7th century. We purchased a lovely book of photographs of the city sites with detailed descriptions, a cheaper option than taking slides with our camera. Whilst in Rome, we also went to the British Embassy and applied for new passports. The pages of our original ones were filled up with visas, plus the entry and exit rubber stamping executed by African border officials. We took a romantic evening walk in the city to visit the famous floodlit Piazza Novona. There were three magnificent fountains over its length, famous for their legendary statues. Around the edge of the square were alfresco cafes and restaurants where diners enjoyed a glass of wine with their platters of Italian cuisine. 
Musicians serenaded their ready audience, while street performers blew fiery flames into the air from their unblemished mouths. Leather crafts, jewellery and paintings were on sale, whilst talented artists drew portraits of patient clients. It was midnight before we went by bus, the five miles back to the campsite. Leaving Rome, we held on to the many treasured memories of the stunning architectural and artistic craftsmanship that we had seen during our stay. We felt well and truly topped up with Italian history and cultural fascinations. Total distance driven, 18,383 miles. You've been listening to a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a Devil or Two to Boot by Alec and Jan Foreman, presented by Explore More. Explore More is an adventure lifestyle brand founded on the 1977 travel stories of Alec and Jan Foreman with a passion to inspire people to explore more of the world, engage with others and embrace global cultures to ensure a greater understanding for each other and enable positive progression. Discover great products and more on exploremore.com. That's E-X-P-L-M-O-R-E dot com.